Welcome to the Standing Up to Pots podcast, otherwise known as the Potscast. This podcast is dedicated to educating and empowering the community about postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, commonly referred to as POTS. This invisible illness impacts millions and we are committed to explaining the basics, raising awareness, exploring the research, and empowering patients to not only survive, but thrive. This is the Standing Up to POTS podcast. Hello, fellow POTS patients and nice people who care about POTS patients. I'm Jill Brooke, and today we have an episode of the POTS Diaries, where we get to know someone affected by POTS. Today we are speaking with Lindsay J, a POTS patient in San Diego, California, who is a business and intellectual property attorney and is also on the board of Standing Up to POTS. We've learned that there's a surprising amount of complex legal stuff that comes up when you're just trying to run a nonprofit, and she's the one who understands it all, takes care of it, makes sense of it, and keeps us from losing our minds with frustration. We value her very much. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Jill. So we're excited to hear your story. Maybe we can start with some basics about you. Just what is your age and where did you grow up? I'm 41 years old, and I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. And how would your friends or family describe your personality? That's a good question. I think my friends would describe me as being pretty laid back. I think my family would probably say that I'm ambitious, but also pretty laid back, that I get along with most people. I have a lot of interests, and I think pretty much everybody who knows me would probably describe me as being very curious. Ah, so did you have any, I don't know, premonitions of POTS as a child growing up, or what was your childhood like? You know, I didn't. I actually had a really healthy childhood. I don't remember ever really being sick that much, even with just things like, you know, the sniffles and colds that kids typically get. The only bones I've ever broken are toes and fingers. I have still, even to this day, actually been fortunate enough never to have to spend overnight in a hospital. I've had ER visits, of course, now because of POTS, but as a kid, the only time I was ever in doctor's offices even were probably for vaccines as a kid, and then just the occasional, you know, flu or sinus infection, but even that was really rare. So can you give us a snapshot of your pre-POTS life as much as you feel like sharing? Sure. So as a kid, I was really athletic, I think. I'm one of those people who's not great at any single sport, but maybe mediocre at a lot of sports. And so I played on the basketball team and I played soccer. I played softball, so I was pretty active. And then throughout college was mostly healthy and and maybe a little bit less active. I didn't play any college sports, but still would go for runs sometimes or to the gym to work out pretty regularly. And I, I maybe had started to feel what I would describe as a few POTS symptoms in college now looking back. At the time I didn't know, and at the time I didn't even necessarily know that it was anything that unusual. I just remember mostly in college that there were times where, for example, standing in line at a grocery store would suddenly, I would start to feel a little bit sick. And I wasn't sure why, and I didn't know what that was about, but it was... 
it was kind of isolated. It wasn't necessarily every single time. And so I kind of ignored it for a while. And then at some point, it just did a routine doctor's appointment while I was in college. I ended up with very high blood pressure, which now looking back, I think maybe was signs of hyperadrenergic POTS, which I do have. But at the time, the doctor didn't know what was going on or what was causing the high blood pressure or anything like that. And we never really ended up doing anything. I mean, they just told me to make, you know, some lifestyle changes and to exercise more, even though I was already exercising. But that was kind of all that ended up happening with that. Uh, a few years later, I went off to graduate school, to law school. And after my first year of law school, during the summer, I started having a lot of nausea and some vomiting and ended up going to the Mayo Clinic in Scottsdale and was diagnosed with fortunately a mild case of gastroparesis and was able eventually to go back to law school, although I did have to take a year off and kind of go to those doctor's visits and get diagnosed because it was unfortunately a long process. It took many months to get that diagnosis. And then was able to finish law school and take the bar exam. And then there was a day about a year after I had finished law school where I was with some friends at an outdoor festival, um, the kind of place where there's music and food and drinks and stuff like that. And we were hanging out and suddenly I felt really sick to my stomach. And so I went to go wait in line for the bathroom because I thought maybe I needed a, to throw up. Oh no, so you waited in line. <laughs> yeah, and ended up fainting. And that was the very first time I ever fainted. And at that point, uh, while I was waiting in line, I didn't necessarily feel anything other than like a really strong nausea feeling, but I don't remember blacking out. I don't remember anything other than some period of time later, I don't even know how long, people were waking me up because I was lying on the street. And so they called an ambulance and I was taken to the ER and that's how eventually it led to my POTS diagnosis. It was still, unfortunately, a couple years after that ambulance trip that I was officially diagnosed, but that was kind of the beginning of the end of getting diagnosed. So I was going to say, so you even had a really clear faint, but you're saying it still took a couple years. What was that like getting diagnosed? That was very frustrating. It was, it was a long process. So it was about two years after, maybe a year and a half after that ambulance ride before I was finally diagnosed. In the beginning, they ran a bunch of blood tests and did some scans and I came back being very low in ferritin. My ferritin was a three and they wanted it, you know, much higher than that. And so in the beginning, they thought maybe it was just really low iron. My hemoglobin was low also, and I had some other signs of being iron deficient anemia. And so for a long time, it was just, I was just told to take iron and that wasn't really helping even after months and getting my iron levels or my ferritin levels, at least within the range, still very low, but at least within the range, I still wasn't feeling any better. And so I was referred to neurologists and cardiologists and ear, nose, throat doctors and, and kind of all these different specialists. And it took finally seeing a doctor who at least knew what POTS was. I had never heard of it at that point. I didn't know anything about it. That was the first time I had ever heard it mentioned. Even within that year and a half of seeing other doctors, no one ever suggested that that could have even been a possibility. And so I finally met this doctor and he said, you know, he could, he thought it could be this thing called POTS and he told me a little bit about it. 
And it's kind of funny because in the beginning, I was sure I did not have POTS. I thought there was no way that that was it because at that point, and this was over 10 years ago, everything I had heard about POTS was about fainting. And I faint occasionally, but it's not a regular occurrence for me at all. I mean, I think in the 10 years that I've had this, I can still count on two hands how many times I've actually fainted to the point of losing consciousness and you know not knowing what happened when I wake up and I'm lying on the ground. And everything that I read 10 years ago, at least, made it sound like fainting was a very regular part of POTS. And that's even what the cardiologist had said, is that, you know, people with POTS faint regularly. And we now know that that's not true. There are people with POTS who never actually completely faint or lose consciousness or blackout. And so now, to me, looking back, it's obvious that I had POTS because I have all of the other symptoms. But you know, like I said, all of the literature at that point kind of focused on the fainting. And because that wasn't a major symptom for me, I was so convinced that I didn't have it. So we did the tilt table test and it came back showing positive, you know, with the the criteria, I had the increase in heart rates and all of that. And so at that point I was diagnosed with POTS. It can take so many doctors to figure it out that if it hadn't been for that one, you might've had to see another 10, another 20 before someone did figure it out. So a little thanks to whoever that doctor was. During that time, did anyone ever imply that it was all in your head or did you never encounter that? You know, I'm fortunate that I, for the most part, I didn't. I think there were a few doctors who maybe thought I was exaggerating a little bit. I know that it's very common that people do are told that it's all in their head. I have a number of friends who have been told that, friends with POTS. And so I feel fortunate that for the most part, I felt like most doctors believed me and wanted to help. I hate to say it, but I think it helped that there were things that were showing up on the tests too a little bit, like the very low iron. And then I did have a very increased heart rate with, with just with standing. And you know, a lot of doctors don't test the standing heart rate. They just do, you know, the seated blood pressure and heart rate. And I think because I almost insisted that they test it because I kept saying, look, I feel fine when I'm sitting down, but as soon as I stand up, I feel like I'm on a boat. I feel like I'm swaying. I feel like my heart rate is racing. And I even had kept a journal for the past couple of years since it did take a while to get the diagnosis. Um, I wanted to see if there were any common triggers that, you know, this high heart rate that I was feeling every time I went for a walk, you know, is there anything that I could find that maybe were patterns in why I wasn't feeling well, even worse on certain days than, than other days, even though the symptoms were there every single day, there were certainly days that were better and that were worse. And so I think maybe it helped a little bit that I had this journal that I could hand to the doctors and I had all of this stuff. But I think, you know, to some extent too, it, it just goes against us that oftentimes people with POTS are young and they look healthy on the outside. And these are people too who were often active and doing things in their lives that it, for whatever reason, it, it's still maybe hard for people to believe that someone can look young and healthy and, and still have this illness. So you're an intellectual property and business attorney. It sounds like you need to be pretty sharp with your brain, with your words for that kind of a career. Did you have any POTS symptoms that affected your ability to think clearly or do your job? I did and I still do to this day. That's, that's a difficult one for me. Brain fog is definitely one of my more common symptoms. I was, I was working 
as an attorney when I was diagnosed with POTS. So at that point I did have a job and I was working in as, as an attorney and ended up needing to take a little bit of time off when I had that first, you know, ER visit in the, with the ambulance and after the festival and all that for, uh, for about a month or two, I didn't work at all. Um, because at that point my symptoms were pretty, pretty pronounced for those first couple of months. Um, there were times where I'd have to crawl to the bathroom because I couldn't stand up and walk even that, you know, 15 feet. I was just so incredibly dizzy or I would faint. And then, you know, after that, you're kind of, especially if, if you, if no one's around when it happens, if you don't have somebody to kind of watch out for you and, and make sure you can make then the rest of the walk to the bathroom. Okay. You're afraid to stand up and, and take those, you know, 10 extra steps on your own. So there were times where, yeah, I was just, you know, crawling to the bathroom to be able to use the bathroom and then crawling back to the bedroom, sometimes again, because of dizziness and sometimes just, you know, for my own safety, if nobody was home more than anything. And so um, during that time, I, I didn't go to the office just because, it, you know, it, it didn't seem safe and I, I just wasn't able to at that point. And then slowly as I maybe at least started to understand some of the symptoms better and be able to predict them even without the diagnosis yet. I was back in the office sometimes, but working very limited hours. And I remember there were times at work too where I would need to go lay down for a little bit, um, maybe go lay down in the back of my car or take a break. And I'm very fortunate that my boss was understanding of all of that. And, you know, she she never expressed any doubt or made me think that she didn't believe also that I was going through something. I think maybe for her it was obvious too because I had always enjoyed my job and I was always passionate about it. So to go from wanting to be there and wanting to be engaged and be in the work to suddenly I'm not spending a lot of time at work and even when I am, I'm maybe not doing the same quality of work that I was before. I think all of that kind of helped her understand what was going on. So. There were definitely times where in in the beginning when I felt like my symptoms were pretty pronounced and I was having difficulty controlling them that I would want people to review my work even if that wasn't necessary in the past because I wasn't sure that with the brain fog I wasn't, you know, not writing unclearly or that I wasn't having difficulty expressing my thoughts and when we're providing work to the client, of course, it's very important that it be clear to the client and that we say things that are true legally and factually. And so I definitely felt like, um, especially in the beginning where it just, it, it was difficult to try and put thoughts together and express myself clearly. And I didn't always do a great job of that, unfortunately. So you're talking about these events though, as if they're in the past, does that mean you're doing better now? Overall, I'm better. For sure. I, I've definitely seen an improvement in the last 10 years. I do still suffer with the brain fog. That is difficult. I, I find sometimes where I'm going back and reviewing work maybe that I did the previous day and there will be a couple words in there that just don't make sense at all. And I don't know where I came up with those or what I was thinking at the time. And, you know, fortunately at that point I can go back and I can rewrite it and I've learned kind of to give myself that extra time if I can to go back and look at the work again. So to have that distance of a few hours or if I can, maybe even 24 hours and look at it a day later. And I might identify some of those things that didn't make sense or I used the completely wrong word or kind of went off on a thought tangent that really isn't necessary for whatever work I was producing. So it, it does still happen. Yeah, I do still have a lot of brain fog. 
I, I even experienced that sometimes in my personal life, just trying to talk to my husband sometimes about things. I have gotten good at describing things without using the word for it if I can't think of the word for it. So right, for example, right. the dishwasher is that thing that washes the dishes when I can't think <laughs> of the dishwasher. And it, it seems silly that like, well, if you know it's the thing that washes the dishes, how big of a leap is it to get to calling it a dishwasher? But it just, it doesn't show up in the brain. And I think my husband can relate. Yes, I think um, spousal communication uh, gets funny with pots sometimes. So has there been anything in particular that has helped you the most with your pots? I would say that exercise has helped the most with pots. And I'm sometimes hesitant to talk about that because I don't want to give the false impression that it's caused by not exercising or that people who have POTS are lazy or anything like that because of course that's not true at all and many people aren't able to exercise. And so I don't, I don't necessarily talk about the exercise a lot because I don't want people to think that because I'm able to do it everybody should be able to, everybody with POTS should be able to do it. And, and that's not the case. And like I said, even with the exercise, I still have POTS. I mean, I, it, it, you know, there's no cure for it. And so I'm always going to have POTS. But for me, I have found that over the past, I think six years or so, I've put in a lot of time into exercising. I had to start really, really slow. It started with getting a recumbent bicycle I would exercise for five minutes at a time. I would even set a timer. And after five minutes, that was it. I was done. Even if I felt like I could go more because I learned early on that I might pay for that the next day. Even if today I feel like, oh, I can do a lot more. I'm feeling good. I could do an extra 10 or 20 minutes. The next day I might be stuck in bed or the next few days I might be stuck in bed. So yeah, it was a really slow process with just setting timers and in learning not to jump forward too much. I remember one day in particular, I had been riding the recumbent bike for maybe about a year at that point. And I thought, I bet I could do like a 10 minute walk. I bet I could go walk outside for 10 minutes now, now that I've been doing the recumbent bike. So I went for a 10 minute walk and I came home and I slept for the next seven hours straight after that because I was not ready for a 10 minute walk. And you wouldn't think that that's that big of a leap going from at that point, I think I was at 10 or 15 minutes on the recumbent bike. A 10 minute walk doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal, but you know, it, sometimes you learn the hard way that you're just not ready for those things. And so kind of had to backtrack a little bit and go back to the recumbent bike and continue that for a long time. And then eventually I was able to move to some more light standing exercises or, um, Exercises with weights I have found to be quite helpful, uh, especially if I, you know, on days where I'm already feeling like I have some tachycardia to then be able to do weights, maybe laying down so that I'm not, you know, elevating my heart rate too much has been helpful. So how much do you faint anymore? I haven't fainted in years. Yeah, I feel I feel great about that because, you know, there's my, my heart goes out to everybody who who has POTS at all, of course, and, and who blacks out or faints or gets dizzy or lightheaded or any of those kind of things. I mean, anything when you have to be out in public for a period of time and you start to feel unwell, it can be scary if you're out in public and you don't know what to expect and you have to hope that if there's some kind of event that the people around you are going to help and maybe take care of you. But, you know, for 
for everybody, I think it, it can be scary and not knowing, you know, what's going to happen or, or how you're going to deal with it and all of that. And so um, I really like that I don't have that symptom currently. I have to be careful. I have to watch how much time I'm spending standing. And so things like standing in lines for long periods of time still don't work. But I think I've been able now after all this time to identify when I'm starting to get a little bit dizzy or lightheaded and then you know, if necessary, I'll sit on the floor of the grocery store or sit in line at the at the big box store, the DMV or wherever it might be. But, you know, whatever I can do to help myself not faint, I've learned to do. Right. Well, I was wondering how San Diego is for that. And that's because San Francisco, I consider to be the worst place except for New York City, if you have pots, because there's nowhere to sit down or lay down. There's no grass on the lawns, there's no friendly benches, and I have come to learn that I'm a city girl now, because, I mean, I'm a country girl now, because in the country, there's always a place to sit down or lie down, but in cities, it can be so tough. So how is San Diego? Have you just gotten accustomed to the floors of San Diego? You know, that's funny. You don't really think about ideal places to live for POTS patients, but that's that's actually a really good point, that there are some places that are better than others. San Diego is great in terms of weather. I will definitely say that. Having grown up in Phoenix, where it gets very hot during the summer, my POTS does not like the heat. And so I do like that we don't have those extreme summers here. That definitely helps my POTS. And we don't have extreme winters either. We're kind of got beautiful weather year round. So that part is great. There are there are some benches. There's a lot of grassy areas in my neighborhood, but if you were more in the urban areas of the city, it would be less likely. Although there are there are some benches and places to sit, especially maybe if you're in the high touristy areas where they want to encourage people to, you know, sit and stare at the ocean or watch the sunset and all of that. There's still, it's still difficult with all of the, I mean, because it's a big city, all of the places you might have to stand in line at in a big touristy city, it, there's often lines to get into everything and, and that can be difficult for POTS. So has anything positive come from your having POTS? Are there any silver linings? I have met some really great people who also have POTS um and people who i otherwise would have never come in contact with and that has been probably the biggest silver lining of all of this i know i've met you know i've had the the privilege to meet a number of people even in person and i feel fortunate for that because i know that there are people who have pots who have never even met somebody else with pots and i think of how difficult that must be because it's just, it's so great to be able to meet with somebody and talk with them and share stories or find out what works for them or what doesn't, get ideas, get, you know, doctor recommendations. And that's what I love too now that we have all of the Facebook groups and the, the Standing Up to Pots page and all of that where you can connect with other people, even if you're not able to meet somebody in your own city or who lives close to you. You can connect online, you can exchange phone numbers or email addresses and kind of have that connection. But here in San Diego, I've been able to meet a number of people in person. We get together sometimes just for lunch or something. Um, we text and, you know, if if they ever needed anything, I would, of course, be there. And I feel the same way that if, you know, if I was having a really bad pot stay and I needed something and 
my husband was out of town or whatever, I feel like I have people who would understand what it is that I need and that they would never for a moment doubt that I actually maybe needed help or, or needed something extra and that they would be there for me. And so that's been huge. I think that helps bring even a level of confidence to it because there's always this group who believes in me, who believes that what I'm saying is true, that I do have these symptoms, that I that I do deal with this, and I don't ever have to worry when I'm talking with them if they're going to doubt what I'm saying or if they're going to think that, you know, it, it can't possibly be that way or I can't possibly be feeling that way or that sick or whatever, that um, you can always just kind of be yourself the POTS patients with that group of people. And that's, yeah, that's been huge for me. I love that too. And I love that feeling that there are people out there who understand and are who all are rooting for one another. And before I had POTS, I also lived in Southern California. And I don't want to stereotype. I don't know if it was a Southern California thing or not, but it, it took a lot longer to get to know people and, and to trust people and to make a bond with people. And sometimes I'd even feel like there was that little bit of competition. But in the POTS community, I never feel that. I always feel this warmth very quickly, like the barriers are kind of down. And I, I really cherish that as well. So now we have something that we call the speed round, which we realize is a little diabolical for oxygen-starved brains, but that's kind of the fun of it. Can we ask you a few questions and you just say the first answer that comes to your mind? Absolutely. Okay, what is your favorite way to get salt? Sunflower seeds. Oh, interesting one, okay. What is the drink that you find the most hydrating? I like noon. How many doctors have you seen for POTS or related conditions? Oh, this one's hard to do fast. I might have to count. Uh, I just, you know, off the top of my head, I would say probably 12. I think 12. How many other POTS patients have you ever met face to face? Mm, at least 30. What is one word that describes what it's like living with POTS? Challenging. If we could get one celebrity to be the spokesperson for POTS, anyone we want, who should we get? Um, does my dog count as a celebrity? Absolutely. <laughs> he has his own Instagram, <laughs> so maybe he counts. Oh, I love that. That's a tough one. I, I don't know. I, it would need to be somebody, I think, who has that recognition, but is understanding, I think. I mean, I've heard of a couple celebrities that have conditions that, you know, try and promote those. Like I know Selma Blair has MS, and I think she's done an amazing job of kind of talking about it. And I know there's a couple um, people out there with EDS that that, you know, thank goodness that they are willing to talk about that. Because I know as a celebrity, like, that has to be difficult. So I think the best person to talk about it would be somebody who has some kind of chronic illness. Maybe not POTS, because I'm not aware currently of any celebrities with POTS. But I think they can help legitimize it if they have some kind of chronic illness. And we can see, you know, that they that they bring that awareness, but they are still trying to live their life and, and you know, do what they can. Excellent. What is something small that brings you comfort or joy? My dog. 
What is something that you're proud of? I think I'm proud of living with the illness, but still being able to do some things that I want to do or things that are important to me. For example, a couple of years ago, my mom was dying and I was able to still be there for her and uh, be a caregiver and take care of her. And that's something I worried, honestly, that maybe I wouldn't be able to with POTS, that that, that, that would be difficult, that there were times where um, she wasn't able to walk. And so she needed help being, you know, moved from one from her wheelchair to a chair and things like that, that I always worried that I wouldn't be able to be there for her. And I think I'm proud that, you know, there were times where it was really difficult and I wasn't feeling well and I was sick and all of that, but that, um, you know, there are, there are still things that I think that I wanted to do and that I was able to do those for her. And, and I, I'm, I'm still actually really proud too that I was able to finish law school because I did have that year off that I had to take the break. Um, it was really difficult to go back after a year because of course all of my friends that I met during first year of law school had continued on and they're now about to graduate and I'm in classes again with people I don't know. So I had to make you know friends that first year of law school and then make a whole new set of friends that second year of law school because I'm now a year behind and that was difficult. I mean, by the time I graduated, I didn't, all of my other friends had graduated. So I didn't really know anybody in my graduating class. And it wasn't maybe the law school experience that I had expected or maybe even that I wanted, but um, you know, in the end I, I finished and that's probably what matters most is I have the degree and was able to then go on and take the bar exam. And I'm proud that I, that I went back because it was, it was difficult. I was very intimidated going back. If you could choose to have one superpower, what would it be? I'd like to be invisible. What is something that you would give to every POTS patient if you had infinite funds? Oh, fun. So like something actual tangible? Like if you were Oprah, you know, and it was like something for you and something for you, something for everybody. Uh, I know I'm not supposed to spend too much time thinking about it. Lots of salty drinks, I guess. Nice. Answer this sentence. People might suspect I'm a potsy when... I sit down in the grocery store. (laughs) And the last one, something you are grateful for. I am really grateful for my friends and family. I, I feel fortunate that they never doubted that I was going through something. They were always really supportive. Uh, I'm also very grateful for my husband because he's had to do a lot over the last 10 years of me dealing with this, you know, driving me to doctor's appointments for a while, being kind of the sole breadwinner while I was taking time off work. And um, he's had to take care of the house sometimes when I wasn't up to doing things. And I also never felt like he doubted what I was going through. Um, and I, I've just, I've always felt really supported by friends and family. So that's been nice. You know, it, there's just something so touching about hearing from a friend or a family member that they looked up your condition on Wikipedia last night. And, and even if what Wikipedia says is wrong, which, you know, sometimes it is, sometimes some of those articles, either on Wikipedia or other sites are still really outdated and they're, they're not up to date. And so they're getting maybe a little bit of incorrect information. The fact that they took some time to look it up just means so much to me, that they wanted to learn more about it, that they wanted to understand what it is I'm going through and, and maybe even try and relate and then make me feel more comfortable talking to them about it. Um, because, you know, I, I don't want 
all of my relationships and all of my conversations to have to surround pots, to have to every, you know, everything we have to talk about has to be pots related. And so I won't bring it up oftentimes so that, you know, that's not all we talk about. But when they mention something or they feel comfortable bringing it up, even just to ask questions about what it's like for me, just so they can get to know more about it and, and kind of understand um, that, yeah, that just means so much to me. So I think you're not alone. I'm guessing that some of our audience right now is saying, yes, I love it when people Google my condition. And the reason that I think this is because in the little web cartoon that I make with my husband, the Doodle Through cartoons, the one that got the biggest response of all of them ever was the one where it's an image of Potsy having love towards a guy who is Googling her condition. And that's the one out of like 400 cartoons that people had the biggest response to. So um, anyway, if anyone out there is listening, Google Pots, you'll make somebody really, really happy today. <laughs> I also just wanted to give a, a shout out to your husband. Yay for kind, supportive pot spouses. Um, that's so... That's so wonderful. And it makes me happy to know that you have that. Me too. You know, I, I write a blog where I've just kind of shared my experiences with friends and family. And maybe seven years ago or so, I got an email from a gentleman who had read my blog and told me that his girlfriend had POTS and that he didn't really know anything about it and that he decided to do a search and he came across my blog and he read some of the articles and now was just just floored by everything that his girlfriend must go through. And, and certainly her experience would be different than mine. I mean, we're all, everybody with POTS has a different experience with it, but that he maybe now could understand better what she was going through, that it was just really difficult for him to understand how his girlfriend who used to be really active and ambitious and, and you know, participating in all the activities and helping out at home and stuff had suddenly kind of had to pull back on that because she had started experiencing POTS symptoms. And he just, I, I don't think he ever doubted her. I think he just didn't comprehend that and he couldn't understand. Because again, you know, I mean, for people who don't have POTS, it is hard to understand how somebody can go from being, you know, for all those athletes out there, for example, how you can go from being an athlete to just being sick and in bed. And so he had told me in his email that he was so grateful and that he was now going to propose to his girlfriend because he just you know, really felt for what she was going through. And he knew that he wanted to help her out for the rest of her life. And he wanted to be there to support her. And now that he had this better understanding of POTS, he felt like he could do that and he could commit to her for the rest of his life that, you know, he, he knew how he could be able to help her. He was at least learning how he would be able to help her in the future and what kind of support he could provide as a husband. And that was the greatest email I think I have ever received because that he that he was understanding and that he wanted to learn more and that he was willing to admit that he was wrong and that he wanted to change his thoughts and his behavior and realize that she needed some extra help and that he could be the one to provide that help. It was just, it was so heartwarming. Oh my gosh, that's beautiful. And, you know, I think until someone has maybe been there, it can be hard to fathom how much just a little understanding or empathy can mean to someone and especially someone who's maybe in pain or is suffering and to have someone just be there and to be kind and understanding at least to me it has meant the world and I I wonder if people in that position sometimes wonder if they need to be doing more 
and they might be surprised to realize how little they can do and how much it can mean to that other person. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I think a lot of the times, because some of us with POTS have not been believed either by doctors or family, or um, if you work your your coworkers or your boss, or if you're in school, your teachers or the administration. I mean, I think most people at some time have come across somebody that they're that has not believed them. Maybe even the public. I mean, if you have to use a disability placard, or if you need to use a wheelchair or a walker or other kind of mobility aid. Um, I know a lot of people have gotten looks or uh, notes on their car or something where people just didn't believe that you actually needed that disability parking spot or that you needed that mobility aid. Um, and so to have somebody just say that they believe you and that they're sorry you're going through this can mean so much more than you know, a big eloquent speech, I mean, there's there's really not a lot that they need to say just to let us know that we feel like we can count on them and that they believe us. And that's, I mean, that by itself just means the world to us, I think. Amen. That's my experience, too. So down to our last question. What do you wish more people knew about POTS? I think I just wish that more people knew what POTS is and that it's a real thing. Um, I'm really grateful for all of the COVID long haulers that have been not giving up and seeking treatment over the past year because a lot of them do end up with POTS. But there's some suspicion that my POTS developed after a virus that I had many, many years ago. And the fact that this that we never saw this coming with COVID kind of surprises me almost because there are so many post-viral POTS patients, I think, for, for you know, the last, for decades, I'm sure, however long POTS has had a name, I think there have been some people who get it after the case of a virus, whether it's even just, you know, a mild virus like a flu or, or something perhaps a little bit more serious. Um, and so I think for a long times, people just didn't understand how it works. And I think as we learn more about it, we can help think people like the, the long haulers, the COVID, you know, post-COVID people, and then whatever else comes along in the future, because unfortunately, this is not going to be the end of POTS or post-viral POTS. And this is certainly not going to be the last time that we see it. So I wish that more people knew about it, because I think that the faster we can get a jump on it and start treating people and figure out what causes it and maybe even find ways to significantly treat or even cure it, um, that's going to be better for, for everybody. And so I, I wish that we had maybe that more recognition about it. And yeah, I just, I, I wish that more people believed that, that this is a real thing, that you, you still see comments sometimes on the internet or you hear comments, you know, just from people, you know, passing on the street or whatever, that they just don't understand, again, how somebody young and somebody who looks healthy might need a wheelchair or a mobility aid or a handicapped parking spot or any of those. And it's it's sad that, that we have to justify needing those things or that we have to explain that people need those things and that it's not just understood that nobody wants to have to use these things. Nobody wants to have to uh, quit their job because they can't work anymore or drop out of school or not be able to see their friends or go to that, you know, birthday party or whatever it might, might be. Nobody wants to do these things. We do these things because we have to, that sometimes we're just not able to do them. 
And so I, I just wish that we could get to a point where it's believed that people suffer through these kind of invisible illnesses or um, chronic illnesses that, you know, that, that affect young, healthy people or uh, that, that don't have that stereotype of what we think disability looks like. Well, I think you sharing your experiences today helps with that cause. So, Lindsay, thank you so much for sharing your story and your insights with so much openness. We really appreciate that, plus everything else that you do for standing up to POTS. And I have to give a little bit of a shameless plug that Lindsay is one of the reasons that our nonprofit has such low overhead costs because people like Lindsay are volunteering their skills and their expertise and saving us from having to spend money on legal fees and things like that. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Lindsay, for all that you do for standing up to POTS. And hey, listeners, remember this is not medical advice. Consult your healthcare team about what's right for you because we're all so different. But thank you for tuning in. Remember that you're not alone and please join us again soon. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts or on our website, www.standinguptopots.org podcast. And I would add, If you have any ideas or topics you'd like to suggest, send them in. You can also engage with us on social media at the handle Standing Up to Pots. Thanks for listening, and we hope you join us. This show is a production of Standing Up to Pots.